Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friendly and creative person to choose their favourite things about a Doctor Who story, and I have to guess what they are. Hi, Toby. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name's Emma Reeves. I'm a writer, and I am here today to talk about Timelash. Well, welcome back, everybody. I hope you haven't had an unpleasant journey to get here. Let's see what happens when Avon off of Blake 7 throws Doctor Who through a tinsel door in episode two of Timelash, as chosen by TV producer and writer Emma Reeves. Uh, We're going to press play in three, two, one. That's a great way to open, isn't it? Um, So here we are in sparkly 1980s Doctor Who uh, on quite a beige planet. I think I interrupted myself with the model shot of Carfell. I thought, yeah, I thought we were going to be in Aztec times and I loved the idea of of an historical. I I think I loved the idea more than I'd have enjoyed uh, the execution, um, uh, much as I love the historicals now, but... um, but I think that's because I'm a, a, a grown-up. Um, anyway, Glenn McCoy, who um, he's also on Twitter. Um, and if you look at him and on the making of documentary on this, which I haven't seen for ages, but I remember at the time when it came out, uh, he looks about five. Um, he was a paramedic. Had he written for Angels? I think he might have done, but he, he certainly wrote for EastEnders after this because uh, um, I remember seeing his name on the credits for EastEnders and going, oh, it's the, it's the Time Lash guy. Um, I don't think anyone in EastEnders ever got called a microcephalic apostate. Um, that, that's, it's really curious that he uses that uh, that sentence, you're as powerful as burnt-out android, and of course a burnt-out android is a thing that happens in this. I don't know if that's deliberate, but it's, it's quite an odd uh, metaphor. <laughs> He's, he, does, he does smoky, smouldery eyes better than anybody. Um, and I remember I, I met Paul Darrow at a, at a subsequent convention where I didn't have to handle him. And I think he was, I think he took some handling. It was in Liverpool. He was handled very well. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think it was Paul Griggs that did it, who's a, who's a fan from Liverpool who does very good on stage interviews. But I think he had his work cut out because um, Paul, I think, wanted to do it in his own inimitable style. Um but you see, uh, I think if you're running a convention, a, desk, a guest who is difficult to control uh, is actually a, a, a marvellous fun for the audience. Um, this is uh, th- a bit of, bit of action there. Um, I, I like the fact that uh, Herbert and Vina have, uh, without even communicating, worked out a nifty way to, to cover the cameras. Uh, this has the this ex- so this this is why you can't have mirrors on Carful. Oh yes, I feel a bit sorry for Brunner. He's got I don't think he says anything even in this episode. Off he goes down to the time lash to invent a board game. Um, I, I like the way that Mick, uh, Eric Deacon does that kind of. We've not been introduced, but I've heard somebody call you the Doctor, so I will say Doctor in a way that suggests that I've just learnt that that's your name. An awful lot to do with two syllables, and he did it well. 
now, was that were they supposed to get in the way of the camera? I quite liked that. The scene you would think would end with a you know the two shot of of the Doctor and Vina, but actually the suggesting the sort of business and the and and, and the messing about uh, and the urgency of it by, by having them sort of clumsily get in the way, or was it deliberate? I I quite like that. I think that was okay. Oh, Robert Ashby's voice is golden. Uh, and he did lots of voiceovers. Um, I'm not... Now, I love the android, but uh, something... He had a similar close-up in episode one where he was impassive, and there he did a little bit of a smile. Um, I'm not sure I approve of that decision. I I think I think the android is an android-y. So, don't suddenly think you're in Blade Runner, mate. Just... <laughs> um, And, and Colin Baker does does have a great energy as the Doctor. He never he never flags, and I think he's asked to do some quite difficult stuff. And let's be honest, um, the the idea that the the Doctor should look like somebody has pebble dashed Harpo marks with Dolly mixture laced with LSD and pure nineteen eighties juice is is means perhaps he's he's got an awful lot to compete with he did i think very gamely say if anybody's to wear that costume you want to be the one in it which i which i think is he's doing what i'm doing you know he's accentuating the positive he's on record as saying he would have preferred a more austere costume um i have to say at the time i, I think i said this i did quite like it my brother had some of those trousers but they were blue with black stripes and i remember because i was always in hand-me-down clothes when it, when it when it got to my turn to wear them i think i did wear them when i was at university um don't judge me <laughs> um uh but and this time last they well they're, they're at least doing things with the camera aren't they to to i think perhaps mess with the set a bit because in the in the sort of studio photos of that set it uh, looked very much like polystyrene crystals but uh they've the the wind machine and the and the lighting and the and the if it's not a filter it's a bit of a camera they've done something with the the camera lens haven't they um ooh, that that's not a wobbly set but it is a it is not the most secure of time crystals which is a bit of a euphemism for a wobbly bit of scenery but i'm going with it um <coughs> And he's yeah so so there's yes I mean that is tinsel isn't it that is tinsel in in the time lash uh, it's not my favourite bit of tinsel in Doctor Who uh, we will come to that when we do another story slightly after this it's one of my most glorious bits of Doctor Who ever um, but I have to be careful um, because what I don't want to do is go oh I'm enjoying this because it's it's bad because I think that is uh, against the uh, <laughs> although it's really hard when you have somebody who sounds like she's been doped up to the eyeballs having to say he's dangling on the edge of oblivion but then we cut to this prison set that I don't remember um, I haven't seen the story for ages that's a terrific set with a beautiful bit of lighting uh, and some nice angles the, and the way that the lighting angles with the bars I think I'm I'm in love with the prison set more so than the set of the inside of the time lash uh that or the tinsel triangle of doom um 
and I've, yeah, and, and, and of course, to have them going into it, I think, slightly takes away from its power as the central thing of the story that is the, the major threat. It's sort of crawling into the mouth of the dragon, isn't it? Um, uh, but they're all, th these actors are all, are all doing their best. I'm, I'm not sure it's the best acted story in the world, and, but I'm also not sure that's anybody's fault. I think sometimes you can be doing your best acting and just because of the way that things are presented uh it doesn't necessarily translate what you're doing as well as possible sometimes that now that may sound like i'm letting the actors off the hook but i'm not sure it is i think performances have to be framed correctly by a director and i know pennant roberts was seen as an actor's director but i i i think i can see actors working hard here and not necessarily being shown in their best light now david ashton kendron who is a great a really good actor really interesting actor who i think is slightly odd in this he uh is married or was married i don't know entirely to unina scott who is marn another male part turned into a female part by pennant roberts in the Sunmakers. um so he, he's in that uh, uh, illustrious band of uh, husband and wives who have been in Doctor Who, um, uh, which I will, I'm sure, one day do a tedious podcast about. Dennis Carey, of course, is I th as the old man. I, I never quite was convinced, I, I, because it was obvious that the Borad was the guy in the chair with the scary voice. I, I, I never quite felt that they'd married the idea that this was the ersatz Borad. Like Dennis Carey does a good bit of android acting here, and I like the the stuff coming out of the back of his head. I think that's quite an arresting uh, image, and he, he does. But Dennis Carey, of course, had been Professor Cronotis in Sharda, directed by Pennant Roberts, that hadn't got made. And Professor Cronotis is a brilliant part, and you could clearly see Pennant Roberts had felt guilty about <laughs> it not getting finished, and rang Dennis Carey and went, I, "I've got a chance for you to do a Doctor Who again, Dennis." Oh, is it a marvelous eccentric time lordy type person? No, it's a it's a robotic uh, avatar um, d d passing itself off as uh, uh, somebody who is actually an, an evil lizardy thing that isn't played by you. Yeah, well, sorry, I'm not doing anything anyway. But he had been back in the meantime in the Keeper of Traken playing the title role, the Keeper of Traken, but not for Pennant Roberts. But uh, but uh, so. Is, but it's fair to say that Dennis Carey's best Doctor Who part is the one that wasn't really broadcast. Um, I'd, uh, linen is a beast, isn't it? Uh, they, you know, you, there's clearly no point in ironing on uh, Carfell. Um, I wonder if that's one of the reasons they don't have mirrors. It's because they're always going to look slightly. I had a jacket like that once, and try as I might, uh, it, uh, uh, it, it. It never looked anything other than like I'd just been in a tumble dryer. <laughs> I actually quite like that jacket. A partner threw it away and tried to dress me in a different way. Oh, oh dear. Um, anyway, uh, so... Yes, I never think they quite rationalise that they, they're talking to the face on the screen and there's this guy in the chair, but that's okay. Um... <laughs> You're lying. Uh, it, uh, I, th I, I, yeah. He's he's having a go, David Ashton. But I think he gives a better of account of himself in in brass, particularly, and uh, and uh, 
and Hamish Macbeth uh, and has done loads since and would be an interesting subject for interview. I mean, I would love to... Um, so if anybody knows David Ashton or indeed Tracy Louise Ward, who, as cats, I'd forgotten. I'm not... Susp- oh, oh, that's quite horrible. Shot in the back. But uh, it saves having to do the complicated ageing makeup from the front. Uh, and it shows how ruthless uh, Tekka is. Um, oh, yes, if Tracy Louise Ward as cats was in cat's eyes uh, perhaps uh, pulled arrows tekka could have been in a tekka to high road <laughs> that's all of those that's the only one of those i'm gonna do um um and i th- i think uh nicola bryant enjoyed her her costume in this which is nice it is it does look actually like clothes somebody would wear um she's not always dressed the most practically that is a very phallic laser gun <laughs> my goodness uh, I remember when Dan Dare changed artist in the Eagle, and a guy called Oliver Frey did it, and he was a friend of a friend, and my uh, well, a friend of my brother's friend, and my brother's friend went, "Oh yeah, Ollie likes uh, putting phallic things in his stuff," and then pointed out all the guns in this thing did look slightly like appendages. Uh, so I, I think I'm quite attuned to see um, uh, 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 essence of. Essence of dong uh, in uh, in in uh, laser guns where some might be present. Um, you'd think somebody. I mean, most people in the entertainment industry have very filthy minds. So you, I'm not sure those things can be done by accident. Um, oh yes, Tracy Louise Ward as cats, as well as all the amazing stuff I said about her last episode. She put up bail for Julian Assange. <laughs> and and I think lost it. I I don't know where I what I don't know why I know these things. Is that part of a cyber gun? I think it might be. Um uh so yes. Big on ecology, pig farming, catwalk model. Uh, a sister of Rachel Ward, uh the uh, we, Rachel Ward the actual. Um uh but also I think lost a few thousand pounds that she'd uh, put up as bail for Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks guy. So uh, she's very busy, uh, and uh, oh yes, I remember. I remember thinking that was quite. Oh, now I've got. Hang on, I asked some uh, people on my patron uh, uh, page to come up with some questions uh, or some observations uh, about. Uh, uh, about these stories that I'm doing, just so that it's not just me droning on. We have uh, input from other people. So, Nathan Moore, who's uh, one of my patrons at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. That was a plug, by the way. Did you see how organically I worked it into proceedings? Uh, he's got some favourite things. Uh, so I might list those. And Tim Dickinson uh, has said... Do you think time has been kinder to Time Lash over the years? I've never heard a good word said about it. I think it's not bad at all. Um, I think it is an example of how people imagine Doctor Who to be in the 80s. But I also know that actually we perhaps will see the differences between, say, this and the next story of Revelation of the Daleks, which I think is objectively better directed and, and better written and better acted. I, I, I think I think the likes of us can discern... The differences, whereas perhaps 
are, are not we as they are called might might find them fairly similar looking i don't know i don't know that but i i do think this is this this is when people like victoria wood made sketches about what doctor who was like this is sort of i think what what they imagined and not unfairly um could the Tecker and Company spin-off been a full series, says uh, Tim Dickinson. If only Paul Darrow didn't have to drink wine, drive an Austin Metro and put on his jogging gear in the freezing cold. Haha, <laughs> I'd have liked to have seen that. Um, Tecker and Company, indeed. Um, and uh, yes, look at, look at that. Uh, yes, look at that gun. It's a bit half-mast at the moment. Not going to do anybody any good at that angle. Uh, <laughs> I'd try and grow up, Toby. Um, Nathan Moore, like his favourite things are the Borad's mask and the overall performance. I think I will be choosing that. Um, the lighting in the Borad's lair. I chose the lighting last time. The oh, he likes this bit. The idea of moving forward in time and leaving an image behind, even if it's not used to its full effect. That is trying to do something with 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 time. And of course, this is a story about time travel uh, and, and 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 what we'll you know learn about Herbert ties in with that. The scenes in the TARDIS between the Doctor and Herbert, good bit of comedy, we'll come to those later. And the design of the robot android. Well, I have already chosen the uh, robot. Not so, as much the design as the movement and design combo. I know some of Perry's scenes in this episode were actually held back from from part one because part one was uh, was overrunning. Uh, um, oh, yes, I remember... I like it. Now, this, yes, there's a bit of sort of. That's, that's a funny shot of Trace Louise Ward. Oh, yes, and Cezon gets shot. Uh, uh, this is quite. This is. This is quite a nifty action sequence, and I love the way that Eric Deacon really gets into it. There's. There's. It's. I think it's the best way to do it, especially if you're having to do a gunfight in a BBC television studio with three cameras on you uh, and a necessarily stage sort of stage thing going on but actually this isn't yeah look well done eric deacon he rolled around there he had lots of piss and vinegar even did a skid he didn't intend to do but he oh that's a picture of sean pertwee <laughs> it really is <laughs> uh it, it looks like sean pertwee playing john pertwee that that really is it's like they've gone 20 years into the future and got that Sh Sean Pertwee dressed up as his dad and used that. It really is uh, a time travel story. Dick and Ashworth at the back has given up and he's just leaning, <laughs> propping himself up on his elbow. And I don't think Sesam does anything now, so I wonder why they decided to injure him and not kill him, because a death is obviously, m m you know, more dramatic and more moving. Especially as I don't think he does that much. Did I mention his earring last week? I like the fact that he's got an earring. Uh, that seemed quite cool to me. I don't think I'd remember. I don't. I hadn't remembered that he'd got an earring. I know Rodney Buse has got one in Resurrection of the Daleks as well, hasn't he? Oh, I'd forgotten this. I'd forgotten this spaceship. That's all right. Um, that's um, playing battleships on a BBC micro. <laughs> she's pissed <laughs> she's gotta be um, i <laughs> it's a oh, I, I i cannot account uh for that 
but I'm I'm very amused by it. <laughs> uh, I I like the way that 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 Colin sort of interact uh, Colin Baker interacts sort of peevishly with people because I I do sense there's a warmth underneath. Um, and I think he sometimes has to battle against the writing, but uh, and certainly against the costume, and sometimes against actors like Paul Darrow. Now, I think it's worth talking about um, uh, the Borad as we're about to go into his lair, played by Robert Ashby, whose real name was something like uh, Rashid Sudaworth. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into trouble by pronouncing it badly but but bob i knew i worked with bob in my first ever professional job and i said to him you were the you you were the you were the borad in timelines i didn't i just went i'm a big doctor who fan you you remember and he he said um and he he said uh, he said well i already didn't like doctor who before i was in it because my girlfriend was in doctor who and i had to watch it every week and i hated it then and i said who was your girlfriend and he said she played a character called leela I went, you went out with louise jameson um uh and i've since uh no louise so yeah um the borad and leela uh, were a couple for many many years in the in the 70s when Le when louise was doing doctor who i think um, yeah, it must have been because he said I had to watch Doctor Who. I was like, but you watched really good Doctor Who. Um, uh, but he, his father was either Prime Minister of Pakistan or senior senior politician in, yeah, that part of the world anyway. Uh, um, and his mother was a Russian actress. So it's from really interesting background. The name Robert Ashby is, is an adopted one. Uh, for the for the Borad, he, he uh, but that is a great makeup. It's a brilliant voice. It's a performance several leagues above, I think, much that is around it. I am definitely choosing the Borad. Uh, I like that high angled shot as well. Um, but that's that's a great that's a great makeup, and and it's not just a personal thing that that that, that Bob was actually very kind to me. I say it was my first professional job. I was a I was a sixth form college student, and we were all, me and a friend were elected to be spear carriers at Ludlow Festival. Did Shakespeare in the castle, and my brother had done it a few years before and got a speaking part. And I was very jealous because they needed princes in the tower for uh, Richard the Third, played by Edward Woodward. I mean, you know, this was no, you know, provincial thing, uh, because it was done in a castle in the open air for two weeks over the summer. Uh, so a lovely holiday and Shakespeare in a castle in an old market town. Beautiful. And when I came to do it, it was directed by Arturo VR from the War Games. Uh, and it had the Borad in it as... Uh, oh, I've already mentioned this in this podcast because Jimmy Ellis was Shylock, was the Merchant of Venice. Uh, and the Prince of Morocco uh, uh, and the Duke of Venice were played by Bob Ashby. And, and me and my friend John were going to be the Duke of Morocco's... Um, pages and then we had to change very quickly and be pages of the prince of aragon but because this was 1989 bob although he he was brown-skinned because he was he was half pakistan or half indian i don't know entirely uh 
nonetheless to play the Prince of Morocco, he was in full blackface in 1989. Maybe it was 87. Uh, maybe it was 87. As were me and my friend John to play his pages. And we couldn't get the makeup off quick enough. So fortunately, uh, I then didn't have to do that makeup because I became the Prince of Aragon's page and my friend John was the Duke of Morocco's. So I am I am spared there being any photographic evidence that could get all Justin Trudeau on me. But, you know, this was not long after the BBC had scoured the uh, pantheon of uh, great actors to play Othello for their BBC Shakespeare and chose that famous black actor Anthony Hopkins. So, you know, this was this was practice at the time that looks appalling now. It didn't seem so then. And that is that is, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a good sign. And yet, isn't it extraordinary that it's in living memory? Uh, <laughs> shut up and go. That's brilliant. The way I think that's probably the way to to dismiss to dismiss somebody that's going for it. So anyway, yeah, Bob and 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 and, and Bob had to listen to incessant whittering from uh, this young sixteen-year-old wannabe actor, and he took it with great grace. Uh, and he had a wonderful dry sense of humour. Smoked Benson and Hedges. My mum rather fancied him. He had a, he had a, he had a, a very casually, casually sexy way about him. I think. Um, yeah, very early to kill off Paul Darrow in episode two, uh, and I think it could have probably done with him hanging around. But of course, the script is. The script is a bit all over the place in terms of timing. In fact, Bob told me that he had to write a lot of his own dialogue. And he does a bit later on say, choose your next words carefully, Doctor. They could be your last, which is a, I think is a James Bond line, isn't it? Um, uh, but And he had it on videotape. So actually, he, 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 he brought me his videotape with all his stuff on so that I could watch it. So I watched the whole of Time Lash, this before, because I hadn't videoed. The, I didn't have a video when this was on. Uh, but he also had some of his other TV stuff on it and a couple of EastEnders appearances where he paid a probation officer. Uh, and they were quite a few months apart, the two the two scenes. And in one, he's really nice, and in one, he's quite hard. And I remember saying, oh, was that originally two different characters? And they sort of made you consolidate them. And he was really complimentary. He said, oh, that's interesting, because well spotted, that is the case. Uh, and, and he wasn't patronising at all. He was he was really engaging and really kind. Uh and I liked him a lot, and he, but he was very funny. I remember one very sunny matinee, uh, he came off stage, and, uh, uh, and, and I think it was because the World Cup was on as well, so a lot of people weren't necessarily fully engaged, but I remember the, the Duke of Morocco is quite a funny part, and he used to get big laughs, but not on a sunny matinee in the afternoon. I remember saying, effing philistines don't know why they bother coming to the theatre, and he didn't entirely mean it, but it was very dryly and funnily done. Uh, uh, and yeah he, d he did add a couple of other moments where he was very very dryly amusing uh, and he's you know seeing as he's stuck in a chair and and that's not his own stomach he was he, he was in decent shape so they've also made him uh, less felt than he need be uh, and stuck behind a makeup albeit a very good one uh, I think he does a marvellous job with his voice alone, but he did have a, a fantastic voice. Uh, and, and he and Paul Darrow um, only died last year. Um, uh, but I was sad. I was sad to see him go. I think he turned down a knighthood. I don't know why he would have got a knighthood. It must be for some 
some stuff because it wasn't for his services to the acting profession, although he was a, a good jobbing actor. Um, I wonder if it's, I don't know if it's something to do with his heritage or his charity work or something um, or that's that, that sort of beyond my radar. But I'm, I'm sure there was a story that he turned down a knighthood. Uh, so you can investigate that if you want to. Um, but he also did lots of voiceovers for, you know, Tonight on BBC One and uh, and had a had a decent career. I, I'd love to end this with a beautiful coda. He did a signing for Phantom Films and I went along with my pictures of the Merchant of Venice to show him uh, and hoped he might go, oh, yes, I remember you and how proud I am that you've gone on to... Uh, didn't remember me at all. <laughs> I didn't even pretend to. <laughs> uh, he was nice, you know, he's nice enough. Uh, um, but... Uh, it wasn't the tearful reunion, perhaps, in the back of my mind I'd really hoped for. And why would it be? I was a, I was a 16-year-old wannabe, and uh, it was two weeks of his life, 25 years, 35 years earlier. Uh, but I still remember him very fondly. So, now, all of that is, I know, a distraction from what's going on here, because we had a bit of... You know, it's well, it's it, 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 it's tricky. This is a script in trouble because we've just lost the two main villains and we're going to have to bring one of them back again with, I have to say, not a particularly satisfactory explanation. Uh, oh, yes, but Perry's being threatened by a, 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 the, the, the Morlocks. There's a missile flying out of a spaceship. I'm, I'm seeing phallic symbols everywhere now. I'm not sure I should be. But that's not entirely uh, uh, undongy. Um, Herbert's coming into his own here. Uh, I, I like that they have the character of Herbert. And I do like the wheeze of who Herbert is. I, I love the fact that I'm stringing you along. If you're listening to this commentary, you've never watched the story. Although, no, actually, some people some people are. I mean, I'm, I will be dispensing spoilers. I'm sorry about that. Some, somebody did say with my first one, they said some lovely feedback. Hello. But they were saying they'd, they'd never actually seen it. So they so they did it with me yabbering on. Watch the story first. Don't let me spoil the surprise as to who Herbert is, which I think is a nice uh, a nice thing that Doctor Who... I was, I was always slightly thrilled. It always had the knack, I think, Doctor Who, of using bits of history or historical figures that I somehow had heard of because I'd been taught them at school or they were part of folklore. So I was thrilled when it was Pudding Lane. I was excited when it was Halley's Comet. I, you know, I, 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 I knew who uh, uh, Herbert was uh, and it all made sense and it all was not a nice sort of cleverly grafted in gag, but uh, through, through a character that we've enjoyed. Um, Come on, Bandrill Ambassador, you melancholy sock thing. He does have authority, uh, Colin Baker. And there's, ah, oh, there's, there's the slight, ah, oh, the slight, the slightly weepy stocking beast. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love the fact that he's having a chat with somebody off screen. Not Nigel, call the spaceships off. Um, so how are we doing? So what, uh, what, uh, what have I got any other observations about Time Lash from the, the, the patrons? What did, uh, oh no, the 
yes, he's never heard a nice word said about it, says says Tim. And I, and I think it, it does display a, a few of its problems. A couple of these TARDIS scenes are late additions because the episode was underrunning. And, and I already mentioned it in episode one. I, th I think, and it's one of the great things that Andrew Cartmel does when he comes in, is he goes, a lot of those big scenes in the TARDIS, there's a sort of habit of having scenes in the TARDIS where the main characters argue with each other. Uh, and that's compounded by the fact that then you occasionally need to add a couple more because the episode's underrunning. Um, I mean, they marshal their resources quite well, although, of course, the TARDIS isn't in uh, Revelation of the Daleks, so they have to rig up the set especially, but you're using your two contracted actors, and it's quite nice for uh, uh, Herbert, who's in a couple of the extended scenes as well. Um, uh, so so that actor, I think, probably got an extra couple of bits of money. Um Yeah, and, and, you know, this is the Doctor doing the classic thing of bluffing to his companion uh, in order... In, in order that, uh, uh, she, you know, she, she does not face danger. Although Perry does sort of undermine that by going, but if anything happens to you, uh, I'll, I'll be stranded on this planet. Which makes you sort of go, yeah, that, that shouldn't be your main concern. It should be more if anything happens to you, I'll be sad because you've died. Uh... I do, I do like the way that Herbert keeps popping up to the irritation of the Doctor. Uh, I'm enjoying Herbert a lot more than I expected to. Um, uh, David Chandler did, did, you know, did not have the career that say Stephen McIntosh and Christine Kavanagh and uh, you know many other actors who get get breaks during the JNT era, which was pretty good at predicting talent. Um, but I hope he's happy. But I'm yes, I'm sort of I'm I've got to I'm aware I've got to keep talking in order to keep this interesting. But of course um, we are we are sort of delaying the action because of course we are because the action should be happening at this juncture. But. Um, uh, that, that we've 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 had to brazen the action out. I wonder if John Nathan Turner should have not been so keen on the time lash cliffhanger and perhaps had a cliffhanger a bit earlier with with Perry and the the, the Morlocks in order because they did lose material from part part one. And I think some quite good sounding stuff. I think there's a scene where the Borad, you know, watched um, Vina and Micros embrace and 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 felt a pang of loneliness because obviously. He feels sad that because of the way he looks, no one will love him. Uh, I, I think his his sort of psychopathic behaviour might also be a bit of a barrier. Uh, yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> I think we're all struggling a bit now. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, yeah. I think you're... I think this is... This, this is a bit like when you're on stage with somebody else and somebody else is supposed to come on and hasn't. And you're having to sort of, between you, keep 
going and as the panic increases i think your performances get slightly bigger because you also don't exactly know where you're going or also where it's going to end <laughs> so i know that's not exactly what's happening here but it is but it is it is cut from the same cloth we've got two actors uh trying to get us all out of trouble um but i can see why time lash Tim Dickinson, one of my correspondents here, um, said he's never heard anyone have a good word about it. It, it, it is a story that that doesn't have a great reputation, and I and I think it's partially because uh, it does sort of fall apart in 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 this sort of latter half of of part two. But it is an anagram of lame sh something. Ty here nearly says in part one. Uh, T, um, uh, and that has been used as a as a as a, a, a rather unfair um, descriptor, um, and there is also the thing of any story, pardon me, any story with time in the title, uh, is uh, you know is is in the classic series is bound to be in a bit of trouble. Uh, nobody's great fans of Time and the Rani, The Invasion of Time. Yes, I know somebody who's going to go, well, I am uh, like the bloke in The Life of Brian, who is actually Terence Baylor from The War Games and the Ark. Uh, but I'll tell you that when we're doing The War Games and the Ark. Um, oh, poor old Herbert. But, and of course, we, we have the... I, I recently did a, a the quiz of Rassilon and I had to set questions on uh, the curse of fatal death, which of course has uh, the 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 get out clause of I'll tell you later uh, about how certain things happen. Where is Sesam? Where is Sesam? Why is Sesam still alive? Um, uh, he hasn't done anything. Uh, well, I don't think there's been an election, Micross. Uh, do you have dictatorship in your bones? Uh, but of course, we have that with the Doctor and Herbert here. We do have the, how did you do that? I'll tell you later, which I think is a bit of a liberty. Um, I mean, at least say I span the tangential arc and that deflected the, that you could, you could come up with a, a you, you could come up with a thing that, that sounded believable, even if it wasn't proper science. Um, but but in, in it, it, yeah it 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 does give the impression that everything's been done in a a bit of a hurry. Um, oh, uh, yeah, the, the the that flapjack you it just needs to wear off wear off a bit I think Fina. Yeah, where's Sezon? He's feeling very sorry for himself. He he should be pleased. He's 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 not dead. And I I I'd like to get to the bottom of why, because they're sort of referring to Sezon, even though we we don't really see him. I don't understand. Uh, now I'm quite cross with the DVD because I had the DVD. Um, you know, menu on on this before starting. It's got this bit. It's got the death of Tekka. Um, I, I do sometimes wish the DVD people had had, had been ooh, quite a few fillings there, Perry. Um, that's I like the way that they've sticked his hair as well. Um, 
so I'll explain later. And oh, there was just it was just a clone of me, and I've got another one so that we can do another ending. And this bit wasn't added at the last minute, but it sort of feels like it has been. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. I I I think, I think like the Borad's face, it's all fallen apart a bit. But it does mean we get to see a bit more of uh, Robert Ashby, not stuck to a chair, getting to do a bit of threatening acting, which we rather like. Um, uh, he's 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 adding himself to the list of bad guys that lusts after Perry. I I, I I'm not sure I like. This uh, this thing of oh you're a bit ugly so um, the this sort of if you're ugly people will find you appalling and that will make you very sad I I'm not particular I'd forgotten about this I'm not particularly comfortable uh, with with that um, and and I suppose he's he's there going he's. He says the pic the the picture of me on Tinder. I'm only showing this side of my face. I'm not showing the reptile side. Um, but I, but I suppose the doctor is doing what he needs to do in order to trick the board. That I don't think putting out both of somebody's eyes is going to convince them to go out with you uh i i'm not sure the people behind doctor at this time had quite got the how to do the romance thing quite sorted uh, so what's your answer to the idea that somebody doesn't fancy you i'll just poke both their eyes out um uh, and of course he becomes the loch ness monster which uh uh uh, see, this is this. I th I, th I think this is quite mean and not 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 brilliantly staged. I'm supposed to be accentuating the positive, um, uh, I, but I have to admit I'm finding it slightly strugglesome. I think Robert Ashby is 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 doing a a, a decent job, but I think this is hard to stage. Uh, 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 the the doctor's behaviour is not massively pleasant, but I suppose we can justify that by going. He had to be cruel and to be mean in order to produce the response that we needed, uh, and actually he survives by being the Loch Ness monster. So presumably, when he goes down the time lash, he also stops being a bad guy who wants to pluck out women's eyes in order to make them go out with him, because instead he just swims forever. Um, so uh, I maybe maybe like Vina, he bangs his head and uh, is just slightly distracted for the rest of his life. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I, I, so he's dis destroyed. <laughs> I always like a bit of uh, a bit of debris flying through a door. Uh, it's a wonderfully BBC Doctor Who. You can imagine a prop man with a little gun going, OK, Arthur, now. Brilliant. Um, uh, why weren't you blown up? I'll ex I'll explain one day. Ooh, okay. So, well, look, I I I hope I stuck with the the the, the remit there. 
Um, and again, I'm, again, I'm qu- not quite sure who you're saying you're, you'd be most welcome to there, Vina. You don't quite know. You can't quite look anybody in the eye. Um, um, and of course, Herbert isn't going to stay um, because spoiler, spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, but I do think this is a neat little way to end, and the clues have been there because of. Uh, Vina and Wiener and the Morlocks and uh, I mean it's a bit cheeky of Doctor Who a show about time travel to go you know the guy who wrote some great literature about time travel we sort of made him because you didn't <laughs> but I like that as a as a coda I like the reveal that Herbert is HG Wells uh, and the fact that it doesn't spoon feed it at the end and go Herbert becomes you know they they, they don't spell it out um, they 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 trust your intelligence to know that. So um, yeah, I, look, I, I I must admit I struggled in places there. Um, I'm sorry about that. I I do try my my very best. Um, I still think it's entertaining. I would still watch that for entertainment. Sometimes for the wrong reasons. I, I think sometimes the acting uh, is entertaining for the wrong reasons. Uh, sometimes for the right reasons, and some in some places it's it's pretty decent. Uh, uh, but yeah, that was um, and it was my first Colin Baker story for this, and I'm very fond of Colin Baker, uh, and and I think you know he he sometimes he sometimes has to work hard with the 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 material he's given, and uh, uh, and I I yeah I'm slightly disquieted by by. The whole, uh, you're you're physically disgusting. Therefore, nobody's gonna love you. Uh, I'm not sure that's a message we'd go with uh, in Doctor Who today. Um, but look, um, I hope that was uh, I hope that was an interesting trip through time. I'm not even wearing any tinsel or glitter to take you there. So my favourite things: two things uh, and a bonus thing. Uh, well, well, I think the two things that are obvious to me are Robert Ashby as uh, the Borad, uh, both the look, the makeup and the performance, uh, the voice. Oh, and the the gag, the coda, the joke that Herbert is revealed to be H.G. Wells and, and the way that they thread Herbert into the story. And actually, I thought I might have to you know give that character a bit of leeway with the performance and I, I don't think he always cracks it but I think he he was given a really difficult task and actually I think David Chandler did a did a very decent job there uh under I think tr- quite tricky circumstances and now a bonus thing about time lash that isn't that I can't choose Paul Darrow because Paul Darrow has been and I, I was going to cheat and go I like the fact that the, there's the picture of John Pertwee disguised as Sean Pertwee um, but I think that's a bit the same as what Emma chose with the, the Joe Grant thing in episode one so in a way Emma's made my task very hard by uh, by sort of touching upon two elements I I, I might have chosen um uh, 
and so now can't. I think I'm going to have to go with... I actually think, considering it's a sock puppet um, voiced by an actor who's already played a part in it, I, th I think there's a certain sort of mournful dignity to the Bandrill ambassador and and the fact that, you know, it's obviously a sort of... Yeah, it's a sort of glove puppet uh, keyed into the studio um, that, that, that has a chat with Nigel in, in the spaceship next to it. Um, I actually think there's a little bit of character there uh, and uh, there's, there's, there's a sort of, yes, there's a sort of melancholy charm that slightly reminds me of my dog about the Bandrill ambassador which is perhaps clutching at straws uh but sometimes this will be an exercise in straw clutching let's see what on earth emma reeves uh, who by the way i've never met isn't this the lovely thing about doctor who is i've had cause to email emma uh, in a capacity where um, I was passing on some information to her that a, a third party had sort of put us in touch, uh, and I was able to approach her because I think it's a, you know it's it's important to hear from people who perhaps work in the industry or or, or, or who are um, you know creatives because um, you, you know they'll be they'll be looking at it through more than just a lens of sort of childhood nostalgia, which I know is a very important lens, but I, I think it gives it a bit of an extra an extra edge. So thank you to Emma because we don't know each other. Um. Uh. Yeah, I don't want this to appear like, oh yeah, there's all these Doctor Who fans who get together and talk about Doctor Who and all the things that they, um, we've never met. Um. So, what's Emma chosen about Time Lash Two and a bonus for Episode Two? Um, I'm just going to start by saying tinsel, tinsel, tinsel. <laughs> I mean, so much tinsel. Um, tinsel, of course, being the uh. The entrance to the time lash and um, then the time lash uh, is full of tinsel um, I love the fact that um, after most people just depart with a scream they cut to the tinsel and that's then repeated for the um, uh, opening of episode two so so fantastic um, commitment there um, and just loving the tinsel and there's a little bonus I also love the Android so there um, now on to something genuinely really good. The Borad's mace, makeup, the, the Borad's face. I think that's really well done. I remember it vividly as a child. It's sort of, and you know, and I, obviously there are some worrying messages about facial difference in this episode. And, you know, we shouldn't ignore that. Um, that's unfortunate. I would have loved to have seen a race of people who looked like the Borad and um, who were different with different personalities rather than just sort of megalomaniacal monsters but um that would probably have been too expensive to do it more than once but i have but that makeup job it's it really stands out in the production it's brilliant um it holds up i remember thinking it was great as a kid and i didn't sort of think oh scary monster looking different i kind of thought well that's cool um so you know for me it's a big thumbs up for the look of the borad uh, makeup credited to Vanessa Poulton. I'm sure Toby will have lots to add about that. And finally, uh, my extra has to be uh, the whole H.G. Wells influence. Um, I love David Chandler as Herbert. Actually, I I really like him. Um, in, in the show, I, I would have been happy to see him stick around longer. Uh, the, the references to the time machine, the end of Dr. Morrow, 
all that's brilliant. So that are, those are my favorite things about Time Lash. And uh, as for me, um, I recently was lead writer on a new version of the Demon Headmaster, which is still available on BBC iPlayer. Uh, Joe Lidster is also one of the writers. So uh, please, please do check it out on iPlayer and we're making a second series next year, COVID permitting. So thanks very much everyone and thanks Toby. Bye. Uh, well, my super thanks to Emma, who is a, a busy creative in the television industry, uh, produced uh, 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 the brilliant uh, reimagining our new version of uh, the, um, uh, the Demon Headmaster. Uh, uh, so thank you so she chose well I think I chose H.G. Wells so did she I sort of chose the Borad I know she went for the makeup and I went for but I went for a bit of both so I'm cl I'm claiming them she went for the tinsel I was never going to go for the tinsel um, but we didn't have any crossover on episode one so it's 3-2 I think to Emma but that's pretty good for me because the chances that I'm going to ever win this are extraordinarily slim um, slimmer than the chances of Time Lash ever getting to the top of anyone's sort of favourite story list. But I thought we, we made a pretty brave stab uh, to go for time. It's interesting that she too, um, uh, you know, was uncomfortable with the, the, the sort of facial difference thing, which going into this, I hadn't imagined. Also, though, going into this, I hadn't imagined... Every, uh, with every story, I think it's with Battlefield I have, with Evil of the Daleks I have, um, aspects of race and depiction of race. Uh, it's interesting how conscious we are of those things now. And I mentioned it not because of what happened in this story, but because of uh, 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 Bob Ashby blacking up in that production uh, of The Merchant of Venice in the late 1980s. And I, I would, I would, on my hand on my heart, nobody in that production uh, was a person with any racism in them at all so this idea that we look back in the past and go well everyone was awfully racist it, it, they they did a thing that would seem to be rightly seen to be racist now and yet oddly it was part of the fabric of how things were done um so you know when i tell that story i i when i look back i now go oh my i don't i don't go god how disgusting i sort of go I, I, it's it's almost bizarre to me that that was normal and yet it was um uh but it, but in the same way i guess that saying ah well the reason you're a villain is because you have a twisted ugly face and people with ugly faces are bad or turn bad is 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 i is is also i think terribly offensive um uh, and i've been working today i've been doing a a thing for um uh, getting more awareness of disability within the arts and with the creative industries and it's still something that uh, that is important and under used and undervalued and the idea that uh, I suspect if my partner wasn't asleep now and I said yeah this story is about come on, come and watch this story with me where the end where somebody who's uh, you know got a disfigured face uh, is bullied by Doctor Who for being ugly and nobody ever wanting to be with them I, I actually think she'd probably beat me to death with a spade uh, or, or perhaps or, or perhaps just hit me over head with a spade until I'm as stunned as Gina Crowley was. So, I mean, that's, you know, I raise all of that stuff because I think it's interesting. 
Um, uh, again, I'm cautious of doing that because because uh, of the way that discourse can take place in this day and age. But I think it's interesting to sort of raise these things and discuss them with, you know, with a certain detachment because this is from the past and we can't do anything about it uh, in the same way that we can't do anything about, um, you know, the, the practice that... Uh, Robert Ashby went through to to play the Prince of Morocco, which uh, many many actors in that decade on the British stage will have done, uh, and you wouldn't do now, and rightly so. So it's interesting. Time is interesting, which Time Lash is all about. Uh, how time will the winds of time wash us clean? Uh, yeah, well, hopefully they do. Um, so I hope that's been more interesting than perhaps. Uh, a podcast about Time Lash might have been because we were trying to look for the things to celebrate about it. And I'm sorry if I didn't always manage to do that, but my heart is pure. Um, come back for the next one of these. Thanks for being here for this one. Thanks to Emma Reeves. Uh, and I will see you some other time. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Emma Reeves. This episode's featured patrons are Pascal Zierka, Sidney Wilson, John Williams, Rich Wiggins, Kevin West, Peter Ware, Alistair Wallace, Gary Wales, Sidney Trote, Paul Taylor Greaves, Adam Stone, David Spencer, Richard Smith. Paul Shields, Jim Sangster, Gavin Rymill, Quarridors, Monsieur Poirot, Thomas Payne, Ken Patterson, Russell Parker, Nick Mellish, Pip Maidley, Sean McAllister, and Nate Lynch. The music for the podcast was by Dave Gates, and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to become a patron where you get exclusives and advanced releases, please do go to patreon.com forward slash Toby You can also support me by making a one-off payment to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby And please don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel and to rate and to review this podcast, only if you're going to do so nicely, wherever you download it from. Thank you ever so much. Thank you.